0: It's National Podcast Post Month, Day 8. Ladies and gentlemen, geeks and geekettes, yes, Day 8, the Ocho of NAPOD POMO. And as promised, we're diving into your childhood. Because if you're under the age of 65 or 70, you probably had some measure of Scooby-Doo in your childhood. We're going to jump back into the Wayback Machine, travel to October of 2019 when Crazy Train and myself celebrated the 50th anniversary of Scooby-Doo. So yes, that means at the time of this recording, November 8th in the year of our Lord, 2023, Scooby-Doo is now 54 years old. So without further ado, let's dial back the time. Myself and Crazy Train Jonathan Bullock dive into all things Scooby-Doo. And whether you're a casual fan or maybe a diehard Scooby-Doo fan, you're probably gonna learn something with this episode. Geekville Radio. Scooby-Doo, where are you? Yes, we're doing something a little different as we usually do with the Geekville Radio nostalgia trip. In, uh, in case uh, any younger folks might be hearing this, what you just heard was the beginning of the original season for... Scooby Doo, when it was called Scooby Doo, where are you? We are dedicating this episode of Geekville Radio's nostalgia trip to Scooby Doo because this past month, believe it or not, Scooby Doo celebrated its 50th anniversary. And Scooby Doo being such a big part of so many childhoods over the years, and this being the month of Halloween 2019, I figured it's only fitting that we dedicate this episode of. Nostalgia trip to Scooby-Doo. Unfortunately, once again, I don't have to do it alone. I do have my usual podcast partner here in crime. Uh, once again, from the asylum in South Kakalaki in, in the nice uh, fall, October weather, Crazy Train, Jonathan Bullock.
1: All aboard, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I ain't going to lie. I suggested this for the nostalgia trip this month because it is Halloween and full transparency. Scooby-Doo, where are you? It was my favorite Saturday morning cartoon As a child in the 70s. Uh, Super Friends was probably number two, which luckily for me uh, were both on ABC and later in the run. So they were actually back to back. I got my two favorite right out of the way first thing when I got up on Saturday mornings. So that was
0: great. And there's, of course, those uh, occasional crossovers that they did sometimes where – you know, they, they'd meet some of the superheroes. So, you know, that's,
1: yeah. And well, we'll talk about that as mm-hmm. we break down all the different incarnations, but yeah, I just want to people know this. We did my second favorite television show is the first ever nostalgia trip. Duke's a hazard. Uh, yeah, <laughs> this was my favorite Saturday morning cartoon. So for those of you that also listen to examining the dead know that that I'm the host of that and I'm a horror junkie. Yeah. It started when I was a kid guys. Cause Scooby Doo. <laughs> I mean, it, that's, it just is what it is. I didn't, I haven't strayed far in my 48 years on this
0: earth. Well, speaking of starting at the beginning, I, I figured we'd kind of set the stage for what became Scooby-Doo, because there were a lot of cartoons in the 60s, all different shapes and forms, and really not unlike comics. Uh, we could do a whole other show on comics, but really in the mid to late 60s, there were these uh, parent-teacher groups, you might say, mainly just kind of look at, at, at parent groups, And many of them were protesting what they thought was violence in Saturday morning cartoons. Because, of course, from the really the 60s through until really Cartoon Network took over uh, a few decades ago, obviously, Saturday morning, that was the big time for cartoons. Those are the times where we'd get up, we'd we'd get our Cheerios and uh, watch all the cartoons from probably... 7 or 8 a.m. until about 11.30, you know. I mean, that that's kind of how my 80s childhood was. I'd imagine it was similar for you, right?
1: Uh, yeah, mine was 7 o'clock was when Super Friends started. I remember you are central time zone. I was in, in either mountain or eastern, depending on where I was living at the time as a kid. Uh, yeah, and I ran all the way till noon. And at noon, Mid-Atlantic Championship wrestling started. So <laughs> now you know what my Saturday mornings <laughs> were. And <laughs> in football season, the football game started at 1 o'clock. So, yeah, that was – in the fall, my Saturdays are pretty – Pretty booked until about oh four four o'clock in the afternoon as a kid. <laughs> right.
0: Now I'm going to mention some animated names here, and it's just kind of funny. It's more of a, a just a difference in times, I think, especially when you look at what cartoons were before that. But some of these shows that were mentioned were Hanna Barbera, superhero and sci-fi shows, uh, stuff like Space Ghost, Herculoids, and Birdman. And for me, it's like calling those shows violent, especially by today's standards, I think, shows how far things have come. Especially when you think that these parents – these are parents probably in the mid-60s. That probably means they grew up on Bugs Bunny and Tom and Jerry, which right. I thought were far more violent than Birdman and Space <laughs> Ghost were.
1: <laughs> well, some, of, some of the other shows I think that I had read about uh, and heard about that the parents were disconcerted about were some of those early comic book adaptations. So like the adventures of Superman, the adventures of Aquaman, because they all had runs, you know, mid to late sixties. And once again, though, I mean, the violence in comic books didn't really start to come back, so to speak, until I'd say the seventies, you know, the the sixties was still dealing with that comics code era stuff. So I don't quite understand that. And it was, I mean, anybody who's watched the super friends knows that. It wasn't heck. It wasn't even uh, Batman: The Animated Series. You know, it was pretty tame as Mm -hmm. far as the violence. Oh yeah,
0: what happened in uh, the late '60s is CBS, uh, under pressure from these uh, groups, canceled a lot of those Hanna Barbera shows, and there was an executive by the name of Fred Silverman who began looking for suitable programming to replace them, and one of the hits that came out of that was the Archies. Of course, mm-hmm. based on the classic kids comic book, and they turned them into a band as well, and they had that hit song Sugar Sugar, and now coincidentally is running on CW now is Riverdale, but you right. know, <laughs> that's beside the point.
1: Heck, Sugar Sugar went to number one on the pop charts, a mm-hmm. band by a fake, a song by a fake band that was actually a Saturday morning cartoon. Wrap your heads around that for a while, folks.
0: Right. But the adaption had the Archie kids as a musical group. They had a a new character, a pet dog named Hot Dog. And that really kind of started the musical kids craze. You know, Josie and the Pussycats, you know, the Bradys had an animated musical, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So Silverman saw that and was also inspired from his youth from radio mystery shows. And so he kind of put the two together and thought, well, what if we had a musical act that solved mysteries? And so he went to Hanna-Barbera, and another name, 80s kids will probably remember, two names, Joe Ruby and Ken Spears, they worked under Hanna-Barbera's writers, and they were the guys that ultimately came up with the idea of what would become Scooby-Doo. So they originally were doing it kind of like the Archies with the music idea, and that really wasn't working because it came up as being too much of a a ripoff. They... Changed the dog instead of a shaggy dog. He was turned into a Great Dane. And then, strikingly enough, I don't know how much you knew about this train, but they actually modeled it after a late 50s, early 60s show called uh, The Many Loves of Dobie Gills. Or Gillis, I'm sorry, Gillis. Yeah.
1: Many Lies Adobe, Dobie, which, of course, is where where uh, Bob Denver, you know, Gilligan, got his start. Mm-hmm. It was his show before Gilligan as the hippie character, Maynard
0: G. Krebs. Right. But anyway, I digress.
1: <laughs> If you
0: even look at those pictures, and I'll I'll put a picture of the, the Dobie Gillis cast in there at, at GeekvilleRadio.com, and you'll see Bob Denver with that little whatever you would call that little chin goatee thing, where it's just a little bit of peach fuzz. It's called, you know. it's called
1: a soul patch. It's called a soul patch.
0: Okay. Um, <laughs> you, you'll see the, the very young Bob Denver with that look, and it's just like, that, that's Shaggy, you know, because that was the character that eventually became Shaggy.
1: And, and i i miss i mislabeled him a hippie they didn't even have hippies by the time that character crammed right he would have been called a beatnik back then you know <laughs> drinking his black coffee and smoking unfiltered cigarettes at poem readings and snapping his fingers instead of clapping think that yeah. you know jack kerouac yeah. on the road that's they get that kind of beatnik yeah
0: right so they uh, renamed some of the characters obviously but doby himself eventually became fred thalia became daphne Zelda became Velma and then as we said Major G Cribs became Shaggy Rogers and it Zoinks. was yeah it was originally pitched as the mysterious 5 and it was about these musical kids that would solve mysteries when they were not performing hence why they were going around in the van you know they were a band that's why they were traveling anywhere that was the original concept
1: right they had to have they had to have the, the 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 kind of mode of transportation that allowed them to carry instruments like a right. drum kit and bass and guitar and all that kind of stuff
0: right uh, the show was originally called Who's Scared? Scared with three S's. Like, who's s- s- scared? Yeah.
1: Think Shaggy saying that. You got it. <laughs> right.
0: But that got rejected by CBS out of concern of it being too scary. So, with the initial pitch getting rejected, uh, Ruby and Spears retooled it, presented it as more of a comedy than scary, ditched the musical aspect, and then uh, silverman himself actually got inspired by the classic frank sinatra song strangers in the night which has a line doobie doobie doo and that's Mm -hmm. where scooby doobie doo came from so the final pitch was given to cbs it emphasized the dog and emphasized the name scooby doo where are you to put on the mystery premise and that got accepted and that's what became the initial run of scooby doo where are you in 1969 how close did i hit that So far, so good. I'll stop you when you're wrong.
1: (laughs) All right. I I knew a lot of this. Unfortunately, Seth had to do the research. But as we've said on (laughs) other podcasts, Seth actually enjoys doing research. So don't feel too sorry for him.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I figured you would have stepped in if I said something wrong there. So
1: (laughs) no, you hit all the time. You got the original title, the fact they were a band. You got, you know, you got Ruby Spears. You're you're doing good so far. I'm
0: impressed. (laughs) Well, the the big question, and we can get into other postmodernism thoughts and questions on Scooby-Doo that all of us have heard over the years. But when I was doing this research and thinking, okay, so they originally started as a band that, ex- that explains the mystery machine. Right. Well, if they're no longer a band anymore, why are they driving around in the van? Where do they keep their clothes, their luggage? You know, well,
1: <laughs> you know, I've, I've always thought, at least this has been my opinion. Maybe it's my way of justifying it. Cause I am looking through rose colored glasses since I love this show. It was, I mean, let's be honest, vans. Vans were kind of popular modes of transportation for kids back in the day, mm-hmm. you know, especially in that era. Of course, now, if you once again, postmodernism, uh, you know, revisionist history, uh, we realize now it's because, you know, it was a shagging wagon. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it was a place that kids could go and do things that, you know, are quite adult. <laughs> but um, if you didn't own a muscle car and you didn't own a VW Bug, a van was a pretty likely you know, a uh, vehicle for a teenager to have in the late sixties, early seventies. Yeah. Or of course, unless you're, you know, unless you're Eric Foreman on that seventies show and you're stuck with the family station wagon, but I digress. <laughs> One of my fondest memories of that era would have been like around 74, 75. We were living in Texas and my, my babysitter was this gorgeous long legged blonde haired gal that went to church with us. Who was, I think a junior or senior in high school. She drove a, she drove a yellow convertible, uh, volkswagen bug so you know that was just the the cars of the, of the day
0: and yeah, the long-haired friends of jesus and a chartreuse microbus uh, well that was a few years later but
1: <laughs> I, I kid you not her god-given on her birth name was farrah and this was before Farah became huge because this was like 74 you know Farah hadn't blown up yet i i she i'm
0: sure had to live that down a few years later when Farah fawcett became like the it girl of the day mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway the fall of 1969 Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? premiered as the lead-in to Archie's, and since this is a nostalgia trip, it's only fitting that we take a look at the 1969 Saturday morning lineup, and you'll notice a lot of other Hanna-Barbera names. So starting at 8 a.m. Eastern was The Jetsons, reruns of the original primetime cartoon. 8.30 was the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner hour, which kind of unusual, certainly now, not, not only about how much then, but an hour long show that went from 8 30 to 9 30. Usually they would start at the top of the hour. Uh, 9 30, Dastardly and Muttley. At 10, Penelope Pitstop. And at 10 30, Scooby Doo, Where Are You? Then they would have the Archie Comedy Hour. The Monkeys at noon, again, reruns of the live action show that we did another nostalgia trip on. 12 30 was the Wacky Races, which also frequently featured other Honda Barbera characters like Dastardly and Muttley. Then we had the New Adventures of Superman, which was the Filmation series. Uh, Filmation would later go on to do uh, Flash Gordon and He-Man. And then it would end with Johnny Quest at one thirty. And Scooby-Doo would actually also air opposite the Hardy Boys. I believe it was also an animated series about mysteries. And the Banana Splits were on, uh, I think it was, uh, was either NBC or ABC. So that kind of gives you an idea of a Saturday morning lineup in 1969. And I'm familiar with most of those shows.
1: Right. Uh, and for those of you who don't know what Banana Splits is, check out three episodes ago of Examining the Dead. We go over Banana Splits a little bit. And, wait, but <laughs> yeah, I don't see, I don't remember that lineup because '69, neither one of us has been born yet. You right. You know, uh, I, was, I was a couple years later that, that the crazy train came into this world. Uh, by the time it got on your course, you're getting ready to talk about this. But eventually it did switch to ABC, which was, was that in the second or the third season it did that?
0: Uh, it was in seventy six when that happened. So we'll get to that. That was actually the third series.
1: Right. And that, and that is when I really were watching it. Yes. Anyway, Those are the ones ahead. we
0: remember the most, yeah. So anyway, uh so the first season like like we played at the top of the show when you saw the bats flying and it was it was really what I thought was the catchiest of the themes, you know, the scooby dooby doo, you know. And they used a different singer in the 1970s season. I think that's probably what you're thinking of when they used a lot of the musical lingerludes for the the chase scenes.
1: And that was that was they they openly said uh, Ken Ken Ken, Ken uh, Ruby and Spears said like, Ken Spears and Joe Ruby right. I think I want so. To yeah. Sure. i will yeah. make sure they're first right. It was because of uh, you know the Archie's thing, and that singer that you're talking about that they they redid the same song but had him singing it. It's a little more upbeat. They go a little more up tempo. He has a little bit higher voice,
0: and it's a little more hippie sounding, quite frankly.
1: Sure, sure. It became a little more "quote unquote" hip. He also is the one that that, that wrote and performed most of those songs that became a part of season two that they would use for the the chase scene. You know, um, was it Bobby
0: Morgenstein? Is that the name I'm
1: thinking no, of? No, I think it's, it's something something Riley, if I remember right. Alex Riley, I want to say, might have been his name. I could be wrong there. One of the things that is true in the first season and or in the second, third, was there was a formula pretty much created by Ruby and Spears for each show. Uh it was uh, usually a five like kind of a five step, you know, things first thing, show opens, kids are in Mystery Machine, which was the name of the van that we mm-hmm. talked about, which was painted like a hippie van. It was uh blue and, and green with two flowers on the front, um, painted on the front where the spare tire was. They would be driving either to or from some type of typical teenage activity. They went to the malt shop, a school dance, a ball whatever. And the car would break down or something would happen that would cause them to stop. Step two, the kids run into something that seems supernatural. A ghost, a witch, a vampire, a demon, something like that. So then step three would be going somewhere nearby to try to find help. And it was usually a place like a mansion, an abandoned airfield, uh, a deserted amusement park, something of that nature, you know? Step four is they find out the creature that we saw earlier is somehow quote unquote haunting this new location they're at, which leads to step four, which is they split the team up to investigate. <laughs> uh the split up usually was usually was Fred, Velma, and Daphne. Mm-hmm. And then Scooby and Shaggy would split off. But sometimes Sometimes Velma would go off with Scooby and Shaggy.
0: Um, it's it's kind of funny how Fred, who was usually thought of as the leader, he all, every time he had the chance when they split up, he ran off with the two gals. Right, <laughs> you know? go figure,
1: go figure, go
0: figure. And he drives the van, you know.
1: <laughs> and then in the course of this, uh, Fred and Velma, who were presented as the smart ones, would discover all the clues to unsolve the mystery. Daphne, who was nicknamed nicknamed danger prone Daphne, would usually get captured or imperiled in some some way. And Scooby and Shaggy would invariably run into the creature itself while they were actually trying to avoid it at all cost and eat because they both have humongous appetites, which would lead to a chase scene where they would invariably get back all together. Shaggy and Scooby would inform the rest of the group. They found the monster. By that point, Velma and Fred had put together enough clues to figure out what's going on. Fred would come up with an, an insanely over-the-top uh, <laughs> trap to, to try to catch the ghost. Like a, a Rube Goldstein type type of thing, mm-hmm. then they set it in place. It invariably doesn't work. Backfires often because danger-prone Daphne causes it not to work, or for, or, sh- or Shaggy and Scooby are inept and they cause it. But eventually, karma shines on them. They capture the ghost, and it ends with the final and fifth part: the unveiling of the of the monster or ghost or whatever, revealing it to be a local or someone else who's using a local myth or legend to scare people away, to cover up either a crime or a scam or a con. And by that time, the sheriff usually will have come in or the local law enforcement, thank the kids for helping him solve this mystery and send them on their way. And we're never told what happens, but we're to assume that they return back to their normal, quote unquote, teenage activities.
0: Right. And really, the only thing to add to that is this is the time when it got popular and everybody remembers whenever they would unmask the villain and uh reveal the plot, he would always say, yeah, and I would have gotten away with it if it hadn't have been a few meddling kids in that dog. You yeah. <laughs> well, yes.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, sometimes they throw and that dog too. Exactly. And of course the five steps we just lifted off there, they weren't hard, you know, they weren't like hard, but they were generally speaking. That was the, there were sometimes variations. There were sometimes you would see like, um, some of my favorite episodes. Instead of uh, after the unmasking, they might have one more scene where they're back at, say, the malt shop or uh, a party, and they're they, they're reading the paper about it being solved, something mm-hmm. like that. But but right. I mean, for the most part, I think we pretty much covered the the basic plot of all the all of the those Scooby Doo's. Where are you? Don't you?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that really was just kind of a thing of the time. I mean, up up until really, I think the eighties. A lot of shows were those cookie cutter. I don't know if it was intended so that they could just be shown whenever and wherever and not have to worry about an order or not. But, Mm -hmm. you know, it it, it was it was commonplace in those days. Now, there are three names in here uh, that are the names most associated with Scooby-Doo over the years. There's kind of a who's who of voice acting talent because I've been a fan of voice acting forever. Uh, Scooby himself was Don Messick who also was characters like Muttley. Uh, He was Papa Smurf and Asriel in The Smurfs. He was Rager Smith in Yogi. Uh, Fred, uh, who many people may not know, actually had a last name. His name was Fred Jones. He Mm -hmm. was voiced by Frank Welker, who, I mean, literally, I think just about anybody in the country has heard Frank Welker's voice at some point, whether they know it or not. Not only was he Fred, he was uh, Megatron. He was... A lot of the critters that you hear when when they have animal noises in in movies, it's usually either him or D. Bradley Baker. So somebody actually amassed it. Where if you factor in Frank Welker for movie uh, talent, he's like four times the gross of the of the top action star or something like that. <laughs> like in, as far as billions right. upon billions. But anyway, <laughs> and the last name is of course Shaggy, Shaggy Rogers himself, and that was Casey Kasem for for many many years. Uh, Long before uh, doing, I think Top Forty, he was doing. He was doing uh, Shaggy.
1: Yeah, he was also doing some of the voice. He was doing a lot of the Hanna Barbera voice. I want to say he did. Was it Batman on on Super Friends? Maybe
0: Uh, I think he was Robin on Super Friends. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. But
1: you know, regardless, like you just like you just said. And if you grew up, if you're our age, you grew up with Scooby Doo as a kid. You grew up with Casey Kasem's Top Forty as a teenager. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) So yeah, Uh, but. Yeah, all the characters had last names We didn't mention that You're right It's Fred Jones Daphne Blake Velma Dinkley And Shaggy Or Shagsworth Rogers And I mean It's never really explicitly stated Until later runs But Scooby-Doo is Shaggy's dog He's not the gang's dog He's actually Shaggy's
0: I, I kind of always figured that Because that's why Scooby and Shaggy Were always piling around You know That's, right. that's kind of Quite frankly How pets tend to be They tend to gravitate To the one they think of As their master no,
1: the one they think of as their
0: food poorer, let's be
1: honest. <laughs> Though, again, you know, dogs and cats are different, and both Seth and I are cat people and own cats. I've heard the joke before that uh, humans own dogs. Cats allow humans to live with them. That's pretty true if you know anything about cats and dogs.
0: <laughs> you, you agree with that as a cat owner? Oh, a- absolutely, yeah. Now, one other thing I wanted to mention about this initial run in 1969, I mean, this should give you an idea of how big this was because the ratings were huge. Uh, I don't don't know about the millions or what the rating would be, because there's there's uh, I'll be as brief as possible with this. There's really two things that are looked at when it comes to ratings. There's the overall rating, which is based on uh, the amount of TVs available. And then there's the share, which is at that time, out of the number of TVs that are tuned in, what, what is watching at that time?
1: So they're both ratios, but, the, but the, the bottom number of that ratio varies well right. on total TVs to TVs actually turned on at the time.
0: Right, right. So a lot of times, especially in those days, share is what they would look at the most. And at that point, for that debut episode of Scooby-Doo, it got a 65 share. That means 65% of the TVs turning on at 1030 in the morning on that Saturday were watching the Scooby-Doo premiere, which is insane. Right. right. <laughs>
1: Anyways, we bring this up every time we talk ratings on any of our podcasts. This is 1969. You had four networks, or actually, yeah, four networks at the time. Right. NBC, CBS, ABC, and PBS. And PBS did not have Saturday morning cartoons. Their children right. shows were on weekdays afternoons, like Sesame Street and stuff like that. So, yeah, it, it, it's, I'm not, it's I'm not I'm not sneezing at that 65 share. I'm just pointing out there was only two other networks for them to compete against. This is what I'm pointing out. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that that that's why there are these numbers that will just never be repeated. You know, like the, uh, right. you know, the final episode of the Fugitive. You know, stuff like that.
1: Right. I mean, even even if you don't have cable or satellite today, you've got PBS, NBC, ABC, all the ones we just named, plus two others at least, probably Fox and CW. So right. There's, I mean, there's seven, there's six or seven over-the-air networks now, and then throw in, you know, what, probably eighty-five percent of the homes in America have. Cable or, or or streaming or something like that. So throw so in cables or come on cable networks and streaming services, and it's a lot different worlds what we're saying, you know.
0: Right, right. So we'll fast forward a couple of years here because one of the things that long-term Scooby fans will know is it wasn't always just Scooby Doo. The show actually changed names and uh, premises several times over the years. So come nineteen seventy-two. The show was rebranded because of the success. It became the new Scooby-Doo Movies. And it was called Movies because the time was lengthened from 30 minutes to an hour. And right. So th- this was the the series, if you watch them in reruns in the 80s, these were the ones that opened with the eyes uh, glowing, you know, the doo-doo-doo, you know, and then Scooby runs in four different places at the same time. Yeah. Now, this is the incarnation of the show that i have the fondest memories of this was my favorite run in the show would Mm -hmm. because they had the celebrity guest stars and now when we would watch them in syndication later i didn't know it at the time that they were based off 60 minute episodes but they were divided into two 30 minute episodes for syndication yep and uh sometimes they would be celebrities, like I remember one of my favorite episodes is the one with Jerry Reed, for obvious reasons. That's
1: that's my favorite episode actually of these, but I'm glad you yeah. said that because <laughs> caveat, when they cast a real-life person, I also remember like Sandy Duncan was one and Mama mm-hmm. Cass Elliot was one. Right. They actually would get the real person to voice them and the and the animation artist would draw the character to look like the real person. Jerry Reed agreed to do it simply because he saw it as a cheap and easy way to debut and publicize a new song his called Pretty Melissa, which he performs in animated form at the end of the show. But I yeah. digress.
0: Right. I, that was my first encounter, you might say, or first realization to how old the show was, because mm-hmm. I was watching the, the Cass Elliot episode and my mother said, oh, yeah, Cass Elliot, she, she died before you were born. And, of course, hearing that at, like, 10 years old, you're like, Yep. What? What? Before what? I was born, that's an eternity, you know?
1: Uh, yeah, I, th- I actually think, is, isn't is Mama Cass Elliott one of the, the 27 Club, one of those unfortunate music stars we lost at the age of
0: Yeah, maybe early early 30s. I mean, there there she was— could have
1: been, She couldn't have been older than 35. I know that. She was young. Right,
0: right. You know, it was one of those things, and no, it wasn't a ham sandwich. She actually had a heart attack, but there may have been a cat uh, ham sandwich nearby, but—
1: one of those popular urban legends. <laughs>
0: right, right. Yeah, she was 32 when she passed.
1: That was that was fat-shaming years before we knew what it was, right? Right. <laughs> the overweight female star died choking on a sandwich. Yeah, whatever. Really, folks? Yeah. Yeah, I wish you could sing like like she did, couldn't you? Anyways, mm-hmm. I'll digress. I'm a big fan of Mamas and Papas. I'll shut up. <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, I, I, yeah, I like them, too. But not only would they have celebrities, they would also have other fictional characters. Like I said, they had Batman and Robin.
1: And the monsters were Joker, Riddler, and Penguin, weren't they? Something like,
0: yeah. And there were other episodes with with other characters in them. Adam's Family, I remember, was one. I think you're right. Yeah, that was about the time they restarted an animated Adam's Family, and they used uh, the same names because it was uh, John Aston as such.
1: Some of the other real life celebrities I remember were, like I said, we said Sandy Duncan, Mama Cass Elliot, J- uh, Jerry Reed. Uh, Don Knotts, I believe, was in one.
0: I think so, because I think he may have been similar to Barney Fife. I know there were some that were other voice actors, like the Three Stooges. Most of them were dead right. by then, so right. you know.
1: But they were real life people. But I think it. I think you're right. I think it was other voice actors. But I, I that was. I don't want, I won't say this was my favorite, like it was yours, but I do remember them fondly. If that makes any sense.
0: And I think this was also the one I want to say where they had episodes of like the Red Baron and the Headless Horseman as villains. Yeah, know? they had like
1: like more folkloric or literature literary based villains as opposed to generic vampire, zombie, ghost, whatever.
0: Right. And and it's just a sign of how popular the show is getting that they would put this extra uh effort into into the plot, essentially.
1: Right. Well, I think I think if if you if this is the fact that they got these actual, you know, real life stars to do it on a Saturday morning cartoon should speak to how popular the show had
0: gotten. Right. So that show went for a couple of years, I think it was two seasons. And when that run ended, CBS started to show reruns of the previous seasons, because remember, this is a time when VCRs were almost non-existent. There was no mm-hmm. home video market. You know, you couldn't just go and uh rent the videotape or anything like that. So reruns right. were actually sought after quite a bit in the, in those days.
1: And when that decision was made, my understanding was, and it's 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 logical if you think about it, the people who were in charge of the Saturday morning programming on CBS were thinking, well, these ran from 69 to 72. Here we are in 75 at this point, you know, and and so all the kids that grew up watching that original run, they're all grown up. They're not watching Saturday morning cartoons anymore. Exactly. So this is completely fresh and new to this new batch of kids. Because when you're doing Saturday morning cartoons, unless it's an adult like you and me being nostalgic like this, like you said, before VCRs, before streaming services, you're recycling your your potential viewers about every five to eight years, aren't you?
0: Yeah, yeah. It there was definitely a longevity you know, in in reruns. So sure. Now, about this time, the the mid to late 70s, actually more like the mid 70s, uh, Silverman left CBS and actually went to work for ABC. Right. Now, the final reruns for CBS were shown up until 1976, and that's when the show came to an end on CBS. So Fred Silverman has now got control of ABC. He's like becomes one of the biggest wigs at, uh, at ABC now. So he gives Hanna-Barbera a call again. And not only do they bring Scooby-Doo to ABC, they bring in a lot of the other Hanna-Barbera creations. You know, characters like Dastardly and Muttley and the Wacky Races and Laugh Olympics and, and, and all that stuff. So...
1: Grape Ape and mm-hmm. uh, like a Huckleberry Hound, those kind of things.
0: Right, right. So, 1976 brings us the third incarnation of Scooby-Doo and that is simply called the Scooby-Doo show. It was also frequently part of a Programming block with other Hanna-Barbera characters like we were just talking about now mm-hmm. If you're like me and remember these in the theme music This is the one that had shaggy singing some of the lines in the theme, mm-hmm. you know come around a scooby-doo, oh. you know
1: That's Something about uh, hang around until the mystery is solved and then see right. Shaggy and for what it's worth as much as my favorite being the scooby-doo. Where are you? This is the one that I most remember as a child because by this time I'm six, seven years old, and I'm I'm a pretty faithful Saturday morning cartoon viewer. So this is the one I was talking about. I woke up and boom, it was eight o'clock right after the Super Friends right. on ABC.
0: And this is probably my second favorite run of Scooby Doo, simply because of the recurring guest character that they had through most of the, the this run, which is Scooby Doo's cousin, Scooby Dumb. I actually like Scooby Dumb. I was I was a big fan of his. I love Scooby Dum love Scooby Dum, I mean quite frankly, he looks like the type of dog you'd see uh you, you know on on a farm you know or, or around the tractor or something like that you know
1: if you're familiar with the peanuts at all, ladies and gentlemen, then you know that Snoopy has a cousin he writes sometimes who lives in the desert named Spike. Mm-hmm. There's a similar vibe between Scooby-Doo and Scooby Dum. I think that's the best analogy I can give.
0: And in the voice community, Scooby Dome was voiced by the legendary Doss Butler, who did a lot of other Hanna-Barbera voices. So, right, right. That show also went for two seasons. And but that, again, followed the same vibe that a lot of the the other seasons went. I I think by this time they had lightened up on the I would have gotten away with it. hadn't been a few kids and that dog. But, you know, right. Everything else was similar
1: yeah and I think if I don't know what your research found, and I could be incorrect here ladies and gentlemen if I am please let us know in the comments but um I believe that there were some episodes made for season three on its of scooby Doo Where are you on its original run on c b s that never aired, and those wound up becoming episodes of scooby doo hour uh in fact, I'm pretty sure my favorite uh scooby doo mystery and and monster is from that actual group which is the tar monster but i, I could be wrong on that and i also got away the titles of the episodes in scooby-doo where are you were always kind of catchy you know and right. they had to do with the monster of that episode
0: yeah there was usually a pun on the monster type like the the, the right. very first episode is like a night for a night with night like nighttime and night right. with a k mm-hmm. you know
1: right it was it was the ghost of the black knight in that episode exactly jeepers it's the creeper or something or uh um, like my ex-wife's favorite episode is which which is which which is <laughs> you know which is in like with a t like a like a you know he <laughs> Witch of the west which is which so it was you know it, that kind of thing and they got away from that some of them still had them you know but they started having titles like scooby-doo and the Ten Thousand volt ghost scooby-doo and the tar monster you know where they got away from the I'm thinking, as a creative person myself and a writer myself, it probably just got tiring to come up with with catchy titles <laughs> for <laughs> that many episodes. It's like, what's the creature this week? That's the title of this episode. That it's just much it's easier,
0: you know. So then, after two seasons of the Scooby Doo show, unfortunately, Scooby Dumb went away. Uh, the show was rebranded the Scooby and Scrappy Doo show, which brought <laughs> in Scrappy Doo. Uh, thank you. I was about I was about to say, you know, I don't know how many. I haven't really told that many people, but I always hated Scrappy. I, I don't know what it was, but he he annoyed me. He was the Jar Jar Binks of of Scooby Doo. Uh,
1: allow, <laughs> allow me to get on my soapbox for a second, okay. as,
0: as the guy who claimed he
1: was the greatest, the biggest Scooby Doo fan ever. My feeling is, as a big time Scooby Doo fan, uh, I, I I didn't realize this, and actually, till I got older, and we'll get later to later in the live action movies that are much more recent. Uh, of course, Scrappy-Doo becomes a character in the first live-action movie. To find out, my oldest daughter loves Scrappy-Doo because she grew up with all these as videotapes, DVDs, and reruns that my, her mother and I would show her. So she didn't understand that Scrappy-Doo was, of course, I didn't know the term at the time, but just knew I didn't like the character. That was essentially the, the, the series that it had been on for 10 years now, essentially jumping the shark which of course that term comes from happy days, which mm-hmm. full transparency will probably be a nostalgia trip at some point too, ladies and gentlemen. But I digress, uh, <laughs> is that it was their jumping the shark. And for people like me who were diehard Scooby fans, even as a kid, part of the charm was Scooby and and, and Shaggy were such cowards. They ran and they were funny. And I think – I don't even think I know because I've heard interviews with Joe Ruby shaggy and scooby were created to be the characters that the kids the target audience related to the most because they didn't act like typical teenagers like velma and daphne and fred they acted like normal high school kids shaggy and scooby were very childish in their mannerisms and their approach to everything and they were scared of stuff that probably didn't scare the other kids and so kids were meant to relate to them you know if, if you saw some of these creatures when you were seven or eight years old you'd have been terrified wouldn't you seth oh yeah absolutely absolutely and that's exactly what Shaggy and Scooby were. So then you bring in this character who – I'm sorry I cut you off, but, but Scrappy, and when they repackaged it – and I won't be stepping on your toes here. He is the young, long-lost nephew of Scooby, so he's a little puppy. But he talks like – I think they were trying to go for the, the Bugs Bunny vibe. He has like a kind of a, a northeastern kind of New Yorker, or New Jersey accent. Uh, he speaks much clearer
0: English than Scooby does. Um, and I mean a play on the name, you know, he was a scrapper, you know, he was the scrappy, you know, small kid that, you know, Mm -hmm. probably thinks he's tougher than he is.
1: Right. And he wanted to fight. He wanted to fight these ghosts. Let me at him. Let me at him. And for all of us that grew up relating to Scooby and Shaggy to a certain extent, we love the fact that they were kind of that, that 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 was a lot of the comedy of the first 10 years of the show. Yes, some of the comedy was the, was in the insanely over over the top traps that Fred would come with. Yes, some of it was Velma losing her glasses. Some of it was danger prone Daphne being danger prone. But the bulk of the comedy was Scooby Doo and Shaggy being terrified because it was silly and funny. And then you bring in a character who's the exact opposite of that, you're killing what made the show work with kids begin in my opinion. Okay, mm-hmm. combined with the fact that it just, it just it didn't feel right, and then. I'll, because Scooby-Dum had been presented as, as a coward as well, you know? So we're supposed to believe that this little puppy comes from the same gene pool as those two guys? Uh-uh. Not buying it. Not, not Even as an eight- or ten-year-old kid, I'm like, nope. You know? It just didn't make sense. And if a ten-year-old can see through your bullcrap, you have really whipped up some weak sauce, in my opinion. But I think that's why Scrappy is, is, is so poorly received by the target audience at the time, especially considering I was one of those target audience. You know, it's just, he He removed all the fun and what made Scooby great, but you have thoughts on that.
0: I can't put it any better than uh, than you can. And please understand uh, for anybody hearing this, when I say Jar Jar Binks, I use it as kind of a metaphor because I'm actually I actually like Jar Jar Binks for some reason. But I was just saying that, you know, for some oh, people, you're,
1: you're one of those. huh? <laughs> yeah,
0: but but uh, not to get sidetracked, but, but I just mean it in the context of how so many people would say, well, if you just took this character out, they'd, they'd like it better. That, that's kind of how I felt like. With Scrappy, it's just—it was hard to believe this small little character that literally most people could just could just like bend over and just like flick with their with their finger, you know, like you right. like like you'd flick a toothpick, you know. And he's trying to act all tough. It's just like I never bought it. I
1: think I know what they were going for. That won't it be cute that the little one's the toughest of all of them? But they they miscalculated on that one. And, and this is going to catch me a lot of flack. I, I'm ready for my ten thousand word blog post. But if you don't know who Jar Jar Binks is, a little more current one in the Star Wars universe, Tico Rose. But I digress. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) It it is what it is, man. (laughs) But that takes us to 1980. This was probably the biggest revamp that came in 1980 because uh, the show was paired with another Ruby Spears creation. Because by this time, Ruby Spears, they had several irons in the fire. They had several shows out there because they kind of... Branched out into their own Ruby Spears name with Hanna Barbera.
1: No, I think at that point they'd actually just completely left Hanna Barbera and started their own animation company called Ruby Spears.
0: Yeah, I think you're right because because I remember that noise, that whooshing and the the jingling that that ended uh-huh. all of their shows. Mm. Uh, but anyway, the, the specific character that got paired with uh, when I say paired with, it's like it was an hour and it was a pairing of Scooby Doo and Richie Rich. Right. And instead of doing the usual thirty minute. Episode, they were uh, like seven or ten minute shorts. The, uh-huh. it's, it's kind of similar to like the old theatrical shorts of uh, Warner Brothers back in the day. And this time it was only Scooby, Scrappy, and Shaggy. So not only did we still have Scrappy, we didn't have the other three characters. So that means Scrappy got even more screen time.
1: <laughs> so Which was, yeah, I think that was around the time they actually changed the look of Shaggy, too, a little bit. They took him out of the green shirt with the brown with the brown corduroy bell bottoms and 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 the Chukka boots and put them in like a red shirt I think didn't they yeah yeah Something I think it's about
0: the time they, they upped his uh uh look a little bit
1: and, and and you know what was always weird about that run for me the oddest thing of all like I said earlier it, it it's never explicitly stated but everybody kind of knows that Sh- that Scooby is Shaggy's dog once again it's also never explicitly stated but everybody knows the mystery machine is actually Fred's van you know mm-hmm. So how in the hell is Fred not in this run and Shaggy now is driving? What? Right. Either it means one of three things. Either he stole the Mister machine from Fred, which I don't think because they were buddies. Fred sold him the Mister machine. Seriously doubt because Fred loved that van. Or or Fred's dead and he inherited it. And if
0: that happened and you didn't tell me, I'm pissed. Well, Fred came back in later seasons, so I doubt I that. I know, but, but yeah. you see my point, right? <laughs> I just kind of picture Fred probably by this time has probably got a sports car or something like that that he's trying to impress Daphne with, which didn't work, which will bring us to uh, later seasons.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, well, yeah, maybe you could say they moved on to, he moved on to college and Shaggy might have been a year or two you're behind him in school and said, here, you can have the van. I'll get the, the Corvette or the Trans Am or whatever. Is that what you're thinking? Right.
0: right. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. So that went until 83 where it was the Scooby-Doo and Scrappy or you know, like the Richie Rich Scooby-Doo hour or something like that. Right. Uh, 83, it got revamped to the new Scooby and Scrappy-Doo. Uh, instead of seven minute shorts, they were 11 minute episodes and this time Daphne came in. So uh, yeah, Daphne probably dumped Fred and decided to hang out with Shaggy for some reason.
1: More likely the, limits, the women's lib movement was about 10 years old at that point And, and, Ruby and Spears said, uh, we probably need to put a female in this in the lead, <laughs> but I digress. Right.
0: <laughs> right. And uh, from the, uh, again, going with the postmodern take, uh, she probably knows that Shaggy's probably not going to try anything with her, like Fred maybe has been trying to do. So For, you know. for the last
1: 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: Um, and then that brings us to the new Scooby-Doo Mysteries, which had the same episode format as before. I think they were still shorter, you know, like like 15-minute Episodes, although this time, uh, sometime through, they got Fred and Velma back. Now, this is the one if you grew up on Scooby Doo or starting to watch in the 80s. I mean, if you were that generation in the 80s, I guess it probably didn't seem as weird. But if you were a kid in the mid 80s or maybe grew up on the show, 1984 hits, and all of a sudden, instead of these catchy, you know, hippie sounding. Theme songs, they got this 80s disco type with a lot of dancing monsters that really look right out of Michael Jackson's thriller. You know, Scooby's right. dressed like McGruff the Crime Dog, and Daphne is inexplicably seen like flying helicopters and stuff like that. You know, again,
1: yeah, you gotta remember by this point, I'm 13, 14, 15 years old. I've checked out a Saturday morning cartoons by this oh, point. Yeah.
0: And kind of putting the pieces together, maybe we're trying to see why uh, Daphne's no longer hanging around Fred, because if she can fly a helicopter, there's probably not anything Fred could do that would impress her. Right. uh, And then that went until 84. And then 1985, this to me is one of the more interesting rebrands. It was the final rebranding of the original run. And that's in 1985 where it became the 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo, because they went back to... Half-hour episode formats. Again, Shaggy's wearing the red shirts a lot instead of a the green one. And this one, while they did have episodes, there it actually became an ongoing story throughout the season, where the heroes had unlocked these ghosts and then have to collect them.
1: Yeah, they had unlocked a haunted chest or cursed chest, and it released the thirteen most deadly ghosts upon our earth and. Of course, I'm sure you're getting ready to bring this up, but mm-hmm. one of the great things about this particular run of the show was they brought in the legendary Vincent Price and and drew the character to look like Vincent, and they had Vincent himself voice him, and he was named Vincent Van Gool, and he was the character who was essentially the, I don't know, the Crypt Keeper, I guess for lack of a better term. It's that, probably that, the best
0: way to put it, yeah.
1: You know, that, that, was, that was kind of guiding the team to recapture, but they also introduced younger children-age characters at this point, too, and I can't. Really remember their names, but even though I said I had gotten, I had checked out on the later run of this show. I was in high school by then, and so especially in the fall, Saturday mornings meant waking up very sore because I was recovering from the football game the night before. And because I am a fan of Vincent Price, and by that time I was fully ensconced as a horror junkie, and I loved Scooby Doo as a kid, I actually started rewatching some of these. <laughs> yeah. So they they lost you from about. The time Scrappy came in to about this, if that makes any sense. Then I kind of got back on the train for a little bit.
0: Yeah, yeah, it does. Now, one of the characters you're probably thinking of is Flim Flam uh, from this mm-hmm. run. That's the one. Now, that's noted, notable because the actress that voiced that character, this is purely just the stuff that I know that you probably don't, but just you know, me being a, a voice actor junkie. Uh, Susan Blue was the actress that voiced. I guess it was common for female voice actors to voice young boys naturally because women's voices just tend to be higher
1: that hasn't changed now remember Bart Simpson is, is a girl you know mm-hmm. uh, the, the boys on Boondocks is, that's, they're both Regina King so this hasn't changed folks it's right. 2019 and it's still happening in animation
0: but uh, Susan Blue went on to not only have a, a career as a voiceover artist, but she also did uh, voice directing and such. She actually put together the voice actors for the uh, 80s Teen Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoons. So,
1: Oh, the uh, ones from the from the afternoons when we got over from school?
0: Right, right, exactly, yeah. Got, gotcha, gotcha. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. I know that this was fixed, like, fairly recently, but if I recall correctly, that show over its 13 episodes, they caught all of them, but they never actually revealed who the last one was. Uh, does that ring a bell?
1: That sounds right. I, I can't verify that 100%, but I'm about 97% sure you're correct there. But it, it was I just thought it was a cool concept, and come on. If you're a horror junkie and you don't like Vincent Price, you've lost your horror junkie card. And even if you're not a horror junkie, a show that deals with the supernatural – main one of the main characters Vincent Price that should have you at hello shouldn't it
0: again i don't want to get too sidetracked but i mean there's a reason why in the 1970s the bbc was trying to do a theatrical doctor who movie with tom baker versus vincent price as satan you know
1: thank you thank <laughs> <Yeah>. you
0: <laughs> and that's the obligatory doctor who reference so anyway
1: thank you cuz that's just, it is yeah hello <laughs> <laughs> and by the way we've always talked about jeff goldblum being a possible american Doctor Who, Vincent Price could have pulled it oh, off yeah. too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, he's been baby faces before. So,
1: Vincent Price. Just for for the record, before we move on, Vincent Price is on that list that we have here on Geekville Radio. Of if he's in a movie, it automatically is at least a seven out of ten, and can go no lower, can only go higher. Am I am, am I wrong in saying that? Absolutely. Okay. Anyway, we'll add him to the list. I mean, others are Kurt Russell, Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, we've got a few others, but he's on the mm-hmm. list now, folks. It's official.
0: Now, that was the end of kind of the initial lineup, you might say, where it was some variation on the original lineup of, you know, driving around the Mystery Machine and such. Uh, The show went off the air. I mean, well, I shouldn't say off the air. They still did the the reruns for a few years. And this is probably where the height of our or mine, not yours, but uh, probably the height of my rerun watching was because around this time I had a, a little brother and sister who, you know, were kind of getting into cartoons as well. So. Uh, But but anyway, uh, that brings us to 1988. This is a complete revamp. And it's also, I think, an example of when somebody who grew up on a cartoon or a title, they grow up and then they start writing for something like that. Because that brings us to a pup named Scooby-Doo. Again, I think kind of running off the back of something else that was popular. Because a few years before, Muppet Babies was a huge, huge animation hit. So there were a lot of... Shows that were revamped as, oh, let's do it, but but now they're kids.
1: And then you saw that come after this, too, with stuff like Rugrats and uh, like uh, Tiny Toons Adventures,
0: things like that. Exactly, yeah. But this was a, a pup named Scooby-Doo. And what was noted, notable for me about this is this is when the show started to get into kind of a self-parody. You know, it would actually make jokes about itself because— It, uh, it became almost meta, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, if you mean it in the sense of, uh, you know, kind of, kind of establishing or, or uh, what do you mean in the meta sense?
1: Self-referential, but mm-hmm. not that dissimilar from like what Scream the the horror franchise did to slasher movies in the oh, 90s. Yeah.
0: OK, yeah, because, you know, they, they, they poked fun at Velma's nerdiness. You know, she carried around a computer that was much larger than the suitcase. She carried it in Daphne. They played off the rich girl look. They also played off the would have gotten away with it if it hadn't been for you kids and that dog, which is kind of funny if you try to establish and put this into a timeline where they're kids and they're already making fun of that line. Mm-hmm. Another gimmick was every episode they had a scene where Fred would try to blame the recurring adversary, whose literal name was Red Herring. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: I, this was one of those shows I didn't watch as a teenager, but found it through you know other means as an adult. I loved this show. I thought it was mm-hmm. very clever, and my favorite part was—I I would say that they're probably presenting the kids at what about six, seven years old, like first graders.
0: Yeah, gr- grade school, maybe junior high.
1: Right, and they pres- and, and so Fred is six or seven years old, and he's still wearing an ascot. That's right.
0: awesome. <laughs> <laughs> right, we'll get to the ascot later. Uh, but, but,
1: uh, but anyway, you know, yeah. I, I I just remember watching it as an adult, going, "This is really clever. I, I kind of like this."
0: what was funny was it was still Casey Kasem it, it wasn't uh i don't think it was Frank Wilker doing Fred but it was still Casey Kasem doing doing Shaggy which is hysterical another
1: yeah, thing too is i think this might not have been the first but it was one of the first when animated television that wasn't primetime i'm talking more at like morning or afternoon which was usually marketed to kids started being a little bit more for adults as well right I think this was what gave you things like Animaniacs and Freakazoid and things like that, where mm-hmm. I what I think is that the studio execs and program managers who were who were making these decisions were passing along to the creators. Look, you know, it's not just kids watching these. They're making their babysitter who's a high schooler or the mom or dad's watching it with the kids. So throw mm-hmm. something a little something in there for them, too. And I th- think this was a good example of that.
0: Yeah, I mean Mark Hamill will tell you to this day when he had his family in the in, in the eighties or whatever it was, that he would get up and watch Saturday morning cartoons with his kids. So sure. I mean if you know.
1: just do the math. If, if the original the show started in sixty nine, let's say a kid was what, eighteen years old when that started. Fast forward now to eighty eight, that kid is, is now Thirty something. They probably have got a kid or two that are in, and the prime target audience they're shooting for. They're sitting there watching us with their kid. They grew up watching these characters as teenagers.
0: There you go. Mm -hmm. So that was the last series for Scooby Doo for a little over ten years. Uh, You know, if if we were doing this show in the early 2000s, which we probably wouldn't be able to because it wouldn't be a podcast, but it's like, this would be all the time, (laughs) uh, you know, Scooby-Doo would stay off the air until the new millennium, you know, but, you know,
1: (laughs) he did come around a lot in the 90s, but it was completely in reruns. You had, I I think the first run was on Boomerang, if I remember right. And then there was the whole deal with Boomerang, which I think was owned by Hanna-Barbera, was it not?
0: Uh, it was owned by Ted Turner, a uh, very, very brief story because I, I could do like a whole episode on, on Cartoon Network. But anyway, Cartoon Network was started by uh, by the Turner Networks and Ted Turner bought all the rights to a lot of those Hanna-Barbera and such shows because that was the idea. It was going to be the, the go-to place for all those cartoons to the point where the... Executives would ask Ted Turner for funding to do shows, and Ted Turner would say, "No, I already bought all these years worth of programming. Just use that." So right. then, what eventually happened was Cartoon Network started doing their original programming because ultimately, end yeah, that's what adds ratings its original programming. So all mm-hmm. these old shows then went to Boomerang.
1: Okay, now, that's what it
0: was. Yeah, and now Boomerang has its own original programming, and the old stuff are now on a spin off of Boomerang.
1: <laughs> so <laughs> right, so but but you're talking the '90s, so you're talking mm-hmm. for me. My college years right my early years of my my marriage and the years early years of my children and so i'm still watching scooby doo but I'm now an adult, you know i mean scooby doo was it was not uncommon for scooby doo on boomerang or Cartoon network, whichever it was at the time uh to be on in my apartment or my fraternity house in college, and it definitely was not that unusual for it to be on. Uh, in my own home when i was you know out of college and married especially when my kid my kids grew up watching scooby-doo you know and i can't remember i think it was 96 or 97 they finally released the original scooby-doo where are you in box sets on dvd and believe me i got all of them as soon as they came out so my kids Hmm. would you know and you know how kids watch dvds they put the dvd in they watch it they put it right back in and watch it again right so my two oldest They know Scooby-Doo about as well as I do, (laughs) at least for the first (laughs) run of the show,
0: because they grew up watching it like I did. When the show returned in 2002, uh, this is really what I think is – I know I said it before about growing up and uh, then start doing uh, the show you grew up on. This is the one that I think is probably the closest to what the show was like in the late 60s, early 70s because it had – a custom song, again, for the intro. It was done by a punk band called Simple Plan, and it ran for three seasons on uh, on, on Cartoon Network. Actually, no, I think... That, no, this was WB. I think this ran on the WB Network. Okay. Uh, uh, but it ran for three seasons, which I think technically makes it the longest-running series. Maybe not the most number of episodes, but uh, you know, three or four years... Uh, In in the same incarnation. But by this time, the original Scooby-Doo, Don Messick, had passed away. He actually passed away in the late 90s. So Frank Welker took over as Scooby. So he's doing double duty as uh, Scooby and Fred. And by this time, Gray Delisle voiced Daphne and still does it to this day, I believe. And what is funny about this is this was actually a joke I remember having all the way back in the 80s when I was a kid, and, from, and apparently it must have happened to the actress as well, because Mindy Cohn of Facts of Life fame took over voicing Velma. Because even as a kid, I always thought, you know, if they were to make a live action Scooby-Doo, Mindy Cohn should play Velma.
1: <laughs> yeah, I always I always thought that was like brilliant casting myself. Uh, because once again, if you grew up watching the original run of the show, you also grew up as a preteen and teen watching Facts of Life. Mm-hmm. So now you're merging two of the most popular shows for an entire generation into one. That's pretty right. smart.
0: Getting back to the kind of self-parody, it was done in the marketing. We were talking about the Ascot. I still remember the commercials for this show where it was openly stating that Fred is no longer wearing the Ascot. And they would even have Frank Welker like do custom commercials in character as Fred saying, "What? what, no Ascot? No, no, I I need the god.
1: (laughs) Now, what was the name name of this show again? I can't remember what this incarnation was called. Yeah,
0: this this was What's New, Scooby-Doo. That's right. Yeah, and like I said, it had the the theme song by Simple Plan, and they used chase music, but it was actual songs from known punk bands. They had songs by the Ramones, the Donnas, uh, Christian bands that I used to listen to, like MXPX and Reliant K. So you had actual music that people had heard of in the chase scene so you know they was kind of adding that extra level of of coolness to it
1: and if you if once again if you if you know these bands we're talking about the donnas and mxpx they're around our age they probably grew up watching scooby-doo too and we're delighted to have their songs and in this in a show in a show about scooby-doo
0: yeah i i have no problem at all believing that reliant k like we're gonna put us a scooby-doo sure (laughs) you know
1: yeah, I mean, I know, I know the Donna stuff well. Believe me, both those gals, heck yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> One of them actually kind of looks like Velma a little bit. So yeah, probably. And I can't remember if it was the early nine, if it was the late nineties or around this time. I believe it was around this time. They also made some direct-to-DVD full-length Scooby-Doo movies. Uh, I don't know how much you researched these. These were. What my kids really loved, because I got all these, is what well. they were. There were four of them, if I remember right: Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island, Scooby-Doo and the Witch's Ghost, Scooby-Doo and uh, the Cyber Cyber Chase or Cyber Ghost, something like that, and I can't remember the other one. Vampire of Mexico, maybe. I, I. But regardless, they were not in the same universe of what's new Scooby-Doo. These were the characters drawn like they were from the original. 1969 and 1973 run but updated with more modern looking animation okay a lot of the same voice talent that we're talking about right now the fred welker mindy cone but there was a unique and cool twist to all these movies they were the characters were presented now as not teenagers they were presented as young adults like in their 20s because at this point daphne had become a a successful and nationally known talk show host that had her own show called the toast uh, coast to coast with Daphne Blake uh, Velma owned uh, an occult bookstore. Yes. Like Ray and ghostbusters too. But anyway, <laughs> uh, for, I can't remember what exactly Fred was doing and Shaggy and Scooby were, well, they were Shaggy and Scooby, but, but they all get back together for one reason or another. in all these movies and the, the gimmick so to speak, or the catch was unlike all of the stuff and all the different incarnations outside of the 13 ghosts of Scooby-Doo, the monster's were real. I remember that marketing, yes. And so they were – I think they were made very much like I was talking about earlier with a pup named Scooby-Doo with the idea that people our age now have kids. They're going to want to watch this, and they're going to show it to their kids. Because I dare say my favorite of all of them is probably the first one, uh, Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island. The Scooby-Doo and the Witch's Ghost is really good because the bad guy is a Stephen King clone who's voiced by, by Tim Curry. Once again, can you go wrong? But, right. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Um, you know, the first one, Zombie Island, Adrienne Barbeau uh, was one of the voices. I mean, she's a horror icon, right? Mm-hmm. And it's actually quite scary. It's it, it's about a plantation in the the Louisiana Bayou uh, that has zombies on it. And the zombies turn out to be the good guys because they're actually trying to warn uh, you know, Scooby and the gang of the fact that they're dead because they were killed by the real Trouble on Zombie Island, which are the, the Adrian Barbar character and a couple others who work on the plantation. They're cat people. They're these people that worship a cat god and they're lycanthrops who turn into like
0: werecats. Well, you're talking Louisiana Bayou. I, too, too bad they couldn't get the rights to use Jerry Reed's Amos Moses. That would, that would just put the cap on it.
1: Well, they weren't hunting gators, though there are gators in it. You know? <laughs> but I mean, it's, I remember you know watching this the first time and I was going, it's kind of creepy for a kid's show. I really enjoyed mm-hmm. it. I really yep. enjoyed it. After Scooby Doo, where are you? If you've got a Scooby Doo itch, you need to scratch. After listening to this episode, other than Scooby Doo, where are you? The original three-year run. These are the ones I would suggest. I would I would suggest the highest. And heck, they've been around now for about twenty. Years. You probably can find them in a bargain bin at Walmart. You know, for for five bucks, and they released mm-hmm. them on DVD and and videotape. So you know. They're awesome. I absolutely loved them. I said all of them are good. My favorite is probably Zombie Island, which was the first. But Witch's Ghost is really good, too. They're very well done. Very well done.
0: Well, something worth mentioning for this, because I went looking that up. The guy who wrote it was a longtime Hanna-Barbera writer, and he also helped develop and write for Pirates of Darkwater. So I think that kind of fits right in with that show you can watch with your kids, but, you know, it's not for kids type thing.
1: Yeah, shocking, because the main zombie on Zombie Island that you think is a bad guy was is Morgan Moonscar, who's the zombie pirate who terrorized that part of the Gulf Coast back in the pirate days. So, yeah, no shock he wrote it, <laughs> now that I know that.
0: <laughs> but getting back to uh, Scooby-Doo, yeah, you're, you're right, that that is not the same continuity as the What's new, Scooby-Doo?
1: I think they were all meant to be kind of standalones, you know? So, right.
0: But. There was another revamp in 2006 called Shaggy and Scooby-Doo Get a Clue, and this was the final series that Joseph Barbera had any actual input in, because uh, by this time, obviously, Hannah Barbera, I think Hannah had already died by this time. But uh, I, yeah, I think
1: he passed away like late 90s, like 97, 98, something, something like, like that.
0: Yeah, and this really only had Scooby and Shaggy, no other mystery gang regulars, and this was the first series to not have Casey Kasem as Shaggy. It was another guy that just did a Casey Kasem impression, but the theme, th- this is notable because the theme music, uh, which you can look up, just Shaggy and scooby do get a clue, it's done by Mark Mothersbaugh, who is probably best known for being the frontman for Devo.
1: And, and also currently as the composer
0: to the soundtrack for Stranger Things. And also did the music for uh, Thor Ragnarok. So there you go. I mean, it fits right in. Yep. Yeah. Right, right. Think 80s think synth and you've got, you've got it down. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, if you've heard Devo, you know, enough said. You know, after 2009, uh, Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated. Now we're getting to the stuff, I'll be honest with you, I haven't really seen that much of. And really, it's not so much of a nostalgia trip. We're only talking within the last 10 years, but we might as well include them all. This Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated was the first series not to be produced by Han and Barbera directly. I mean, it was still under the company, but they'd all passed. And it also was the first not to air on Saturday mornings. This had Matthew Lillard take over the role of Shaggy, which he had done in the uh, live action films. And uh, it weaved, again, elements of self-parody, you know, with the You Meddling Kids line. But they would also have an ongoing story where it started out very similar to the classic shows, but then it became less comedy and more and more complex as it went on. And then by the time the, the series is over, they're dealing with real monsters. So I thought that was a pretty cool take that like encompasses all the elements. It starts off with the, yes. the comedy, but then by the time it's over, it's actually an actual monster mystery.
1: Right. And I have seen some of those a lot. There's also some episodes to, to tie in how it really was, I think, like you said the best stew of all of them they had guest stars that were real people on it. I got they had if I remember right, they had they had uh, a Kerry Coleman before he passed away was on one and he kind of poked fun at himself. Mm-hmm. you know they broke the, they broke the fourth wall sometimes. so you've got this blend of everything that worked in the past. you've got their search for the mystery but they turn out to be real, but you've got a little bit of the scooby-doo movies mixed in there with the, with the celebrity stuff. But if I remember right, this is also the one, and I could be wrong here. This is the one where they got away from traditional two D animation and went to more, you know, the three D computer generated. And I did not like that aspect. But yeah. it could be it could be a could be a different one. I'm thinking of. I can't remember.
0: Yeah, uh, I definitely did see some stuff in the intro where they did that kind of three D pan around, uh, mm-hmm. and which you know, this would not have been able to do in standard two uh, D. And that that
1: was the only thing that was disappointing to me about that was if you're going for nostalgia, why update the animation? Why not keep it the same?
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I can certainly as, see that.
1: And as far as I know, it's the only incarnation outside of the live-action movies from the mid-2000s that did not have the old-school 2D animation. So obviously I think it was a gimmick. They tried it realized it didn't work and went back. It, it, or it could have been just a cost thing because back then that that kind of animation was pretty expensive, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's not what it's like now because, you know, remember, even around 2010, I mean, YouTube existed, but it wasn't nearly on the level where it is now where Ooh. entire shows could exist just on YouTube. Right, right, right.
1: We didn't talk about the live-action movies. Those fell. I can't remember what were the release. Do you have those in your notes of what released year?
0: Uh, it was in the early 2000s. I think it was 2002 because the theater that I worked at in the 90s, uh, I think it ended in 2001 and i think we started to get the the, the posters and the you know the, the standees and such yeah so i think i want to say that was 2002 was when the first one came out and then there was the direct sequel in right. uh, in in 2000 i think it was 2004 oh. or 2005 that that we're talking about the uh the Freddie Prince Jr., Sarah Michelle yes, Gellar. Yes. yes, okay. Which was,
1: and it was just Scooby Doo, and the sequel is called Scooby Doo Two: Monsters Unleashed. Um, okay,
0: have you seen either one of those? I saw the first one. I I don't think I saw the second because I know the first one did kind of the self parody, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I think it was probably the second one, too. But I, I, does the second one take place like right after the first one started, uh, or was it sometime close,
1: later? Cl- close close after it. It, it. it is a direct sequel. It takes place after it, but I don't know the time. Yeah, yeah, you know. and,
0: and I remember. I think this is the when Freddie Prince Jr. and Sarah Michelle Keller met and started dating. And I think I think they're still married yes. today. I'm not. I'm not sure, but
1: they are. They are as far as I know. I think they were. They had started dating during the first one, and by the time the second was filmed, they had gotten married. I believe. Mm-hmm. And you know, for what it's worth, uh, I would. I, I would also suggest checking those out uh, for two different reasons: uh, the casting, eh. I mean, it was kind of weird to see Scooby Doo as as a as a three D animated character, you know, a CGI character in a live action. But what else are you going to do with a semi anthropomorphic Great Dane, you know, that that right. somewhat speaks for what it's worth? Though you brought it, you brought him up earlier, which made me think about this. Freddie Prince Jr. was serviceable as Freddie. Mm-hmm. Sarah Michelle Gera- Geller was serviceable as Daphne. They did change her character a lot because we're getting, you know, closer and closer to the era we are now. Where she was a much, she wasn't danger prone Daphne anymore. She was, she was a tough chick who could take care of herself. Um, mm-hmm. Linda Cardellini, which for those who don't know, who she is that's that's Clint Barton's wife from the MCU. You know, Mrs. Hawkeye. Uh, I think she's gorgeous. Yes, Full transparency, and she pulled off geek chic awesomely as Velma in this. But Matthew Lillard, nailed of course, it. was already yeah, he was already known at this point from the scream, the first scream movie. He nailed it. He became the true live-action, physical embodiment of Shaggy Rogers. Like you said, so much so that later on, when they started doing animated shows again, they hired him just to do the voice. Mm -hmm. If Tom Baker was born to play Doctor Who, if Robert Downey Jr. was born to play Tony Stark, Matthew Lillard was born to play Shaggy Rogers. I think we can agree on that.
0: Absolutely, 100%. And Keep in mind, this is after... He's already made several movies with Freddie Prinze Jr. You know, he was in, it's not my favorite movie, but they were in the Wing Commander movie together. They did a couple teeny bopper romance films together. So Yeah,
1: teen rom-coms, yeah.
0: It's probably not the best analogy, but it was kind of like, you know, how David Spade and uh, Chris Farley did a whole bunch of movies together, you know, that that type of thing. Only they did some dramas together. So it was just like, but they made you forget all that. You were able to see that and forget that these are the guys from those 90s rom-com movies.
1: Right. I mean, and that's all the 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 whole fart joke segment between Scooby and Shaggy aside. It, it's not and Rowan Atkinson's in it. Rowan Atkinson's always great. And like we said, Scrappy Doo is actually, spoilers folks, he turns out to be the bad guy in this one, so people our age were loving that. <laughs> <laughs> the second one I would suggest, plot's not as good. It's one of the last movies I think Peter Boyle ever did, but he plays a great grumpy old man who's a red herring. But what was cool about it is the premise is the the city of Coolsville, which is the town that they live in, is honoring the mystery Mystery Incorporated. That's that's eventually what, and I can't remember which run of the show they got the name for the Scooby Game to be Mystery Inc. But at some point, it might be What's New Scooby Doo is might be where the first time we we hear Coolsville and Mystery Inc. But I could be wrong. But to honor them, they have built a museum for Mystery Inc. that includes all these costumes of famous ghosts well they didn't create new ones for the movie they used the real ghosts or monsters from the animated shows we grew up on in the 70s so as a, a kid growing up on those it was kind of cool to see some of the more well-known monsters in cgi form there's the minor 49er and the, the aforementioned ghost of the black knight and the pterodactyl monster and the tar monster my favorite <laughs>
0: yeah or or whatever was that uh, robot looking thing with the red eyes that was in all the uh uh scooby-Doo movie I- intros
1: yeah unfortunately he's not in there and and, oh, okay. and that's an, that's an interesting one that's a season one episode and uh it's it's I cannot remember the name it has something at the carnival or something is the name of that one that is one of the few times I can remember in the original run of the first three incarnations of the show it's actually he's not a monster it's an abandoned amusement park where the owner built him because he's a scientist and he's a robot who was meant to be friendly and to get kids to want to come into the park. And it went haywire. And then once the kids capture it, he's able to reprogram it and it's friendly again. Oh, okay. Yes. But that, but, but he's not in, but, but, but a lot of the more, the creeper who is probably the most well-known of all those from that era. So it's got a lot. It was just the 10,000 volt ghost. It was really cool to see those, as an adult now with CGI and live action.
0: Now, there's two other shows that we'll talk about briefly. I'll be honest with you because I, I haven't seen them. But there was Be Cool Scooby-Doo, which mm-hmm. was a complete revision of the character designs. I mean, they, they, they had larger heads and smaller bodies and such. Yeah. You know, the Mystery Machine had a bunch of gadgets in it, you know, because Fred somehow became a gadgeteer, which doesn't make much sense to me. If anything, it should be Velma doing that. That there's also the one that started up this year. It's running to this uh, on this day, uh, or, the, or in the the year of our Lord 2019, called uh, Scooby Doo and Guess Who, and it, it's going back to the guest formula with celebrities or other character mm-hmm. guests and such. Right.
1: I've seen like one or two of those. Uh, I haven't seen enough to make a decision yet. What I saw wasn't that bad.
0: Well, uh, for the Scooby Doo and Guess who I think you can guess which episode I'm going to seek out as soon as we're done with this, and that's the episode that has Batman and Joker in it because you can probably guess who's voicing Batman and Joker in those episodes.
1: Uh, Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill. Yep, the voice of the of Batman and the voice of Joker. Right. And anybody who wants to argue me, get on get on Twitter. We'll we'll we'll, dis- we'll discuss this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Now, before we wrap up here, uh, well, you know, we kind of teased the modern tropes at the beginning, so I had about four or five here. You know, we talked about it before, you know, what were they driving around in a van for if they weren't a band? Uh, Fred almost always had to take the two girls with him. There Mm -hmm. was the thing of Shaggy was a stoner, hence why he was hungry all the time. He had the munchies. And and there was the, I don't think it was ever intended, but there was a whole thing of, was Velma really a lesbian because of the way she dressed? And I always kind Uh of thought that's why they cast Linda Cardellini as, as Velma for those those live action movies because she is dude, so pretty. <laughs> yeah, there, there is kind of that thing that you could imagine if Velma let her hair down and took off the glasses or something like that. There's, there's that again going back to the rom coms, there's always a nerdy gal that by the end of the movie baves herself up and she's hotter than the resident hot chick right. in the movie. I think that was right. Always right. what some people might have thought would happen with Velma.
1: You've brought up most of the posts. Once again, let me get up on my soapbox again. I am not trying to look through rose-colored glasses, ladies and gentlemen, but I've I've always hated those. Hanna-Barbera, Ruby and Spears, they were masters at making shows that were meant for kids. Right. None of these characters they created were intentionally supposed to have these very adult takes on them. They were meant to be for kids, okay? Mm -hmm. Velma is nerd. If anything, what what, they allude to this sometimes... I think Velma and Shaggy were meant to be a couple as much as Fred and Daphne were. It's just Shaggy wasn't as "quote unquote" cool as Fred, so he was a little more awkward around girls. That's
0: all. Yeah, yeah. And really, when you're talking about young kids who probably haven't really developed the thought of romance, and really, if you're in grade school, girls are yucky anyway. You know, what's (laughs) why would they do that? You know,
1: right? And let's be honest: if you're writing a show for kids. That involves teenagers. We all know teenagers have sex on their mind all the time. Because, well, I did when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. You're still not going to present that to kids, even though it's the reality. They're kids. Kids don't look at high schoolers that way. Adults look at high schoolers that way because we were once high schoolers. You know. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I've I've never bought into that. It just seems to me to like I don't know. Are are are, are some of the people that bring this up so weak uh, about admitting that they were once kids and they were once naive and innocent? That they have the only way they can justify their liking something that's for kids is by trying to make it more adult than it ever really was. I don't know. It just—it's always bothered me this whole idea of you know if anybody was was guilty of probably putting stuff on TV that probably wasn't ready for was made for kids but they claimed it was would be would be Sid and Marty Croft with H and R Puff and stuff and stuff like that just was just, just bizarre, you know. They had mm-hmm. all the real good pharmaceuticals back in the day. Just watch H&R Puff and stuff. You'll know what I'm talking about.
0: <laughs> like Stan Lee said in uh, one of the Avengers movies, well, the 60s are fun and now I'm paying for it. <laughs> right.
1: That was Ant-Man the Wasp he said that. Yeah, in that okay. thing. <laughs> Come on, man. They, their stuff was like a fever dream from David Lynch's mind. After taking about three hits of acid, but I digress. I don't think Hanna-Barbera or Ruby and Spears were going for that. I don't – when you try to write that in, you're just trying to justify it for yourself. I think it's ridiculous. Scooby-Doo and Shaggy had the munchies all the time because it was funny to a six-year-old kid, and that's why they did.
0: Right, and just about anything they were told, they kind of turned it into a food pun, you know?
1: Right, and the reason that Velma is the way she is is because she's probably – a little frustrated that the boy that she's dating isn't interested in her because he's more interested in food, and she's also presented as a very intelligent bookish kind of girl, so to a six year old she would kind of dress nerdyish like that that's so why she had glasses okay, and Fred and Daphne are presented as the cool kids, you know, mm-hmm. and to a six year old in nineteen seventy or seventy one the cool kids looked like Fred Jones and Daphne Blake, so that's what it is.
0: And obviously, the mystery machine looked uh, right out of the, the hippie era. I mean, I'm sure it was probably a Ford bus, maybe a maybe a Volkswagen.
1: Right. And, and like, I, like I said earlier when we talked about the van, it wasn't because kids were using it to screw around, which is why they real teenage kids had them. All six-year-olds sees is they could buy it. It was a car mm-hmm. or a vehicle that was pretty normal for kids in high school at the time to drive. They didn't understand why the kids had the – the adults understood why the kids wanted the van, you know, but the kids didn't. You're trying to think like an adult when this was drawn and presented the way it was on how a six- or seven-year-old would see these things. Remember that, and then maybe that will change your mind on some of these postmodern bullcrap spins on it. So I've got out of my system. I will step back down off my sofa. Thank you for listening, and if you like what you hear… Tell a friend. That's the only way we're going to grow. And happy birthday, Scooby-Doo. The fact you're 50 years old makes me feel
0: really old. (laughs) And I'm not that far behind you. And I will always be thankful for Scooby-Doo, not only for being such a great show, but it really is what launched Frank Welker's career. And he, he is like the god or a god of all the people who get into the voiceover business because he's done so much. Oh, and he still does Fred to this day.
1: If there's a Mount Rushmore of animated voice actors, Frank Welker and Mel Blanc are the first two to go on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Geek
0: Bill Radio. There you have it. Just about anything that could be had for Scooby-Doo, at least as of 2019. It's all there in that episode. Hope you enjoyed this flashback edition of Nostalgia Trip. That's kind of an oxymoron, isn't it? It's a flashback to a past Nostalgia Trip episode. So it's a Nostalgia Trip of a, Nostalgia trip, yeah. But this is Geekville Radio. We are at geekvilleradio.com. You can find us on the podcast platform of your choosing. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, pretty much you name it. You'll find Geekville Radio and our family of podcast channels there. Give us a like, give us a follow, give us a review, let us know what we're doing well, let us know what we're not doing so well. I always look for ways to improve this show. And I appreciate any feedback, especially when it's genuine. And I can also be reached at Seth at com, The social media, Geekville Radio at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And Crazy Train is at Train underscore JB on Twitter or X or whatever gets rebranded to next week. Definitely want to hear from all you. And we will be back soon for Day 9. And just a little teaser, we're going to go back to the Old West. And we're going to talk arguably one of the most famous Western characters of all time. But we're going to dive into stuff you may not know about the Lone Ranger. That's tomorrow for Day 9. In the meantime, we're going to shut down the power here in the Geekful Radio Studios. And we'll talk to you folks again next time. Geekville Radio is not sponsored or endorsed by any products or services unless specifically stated. The views expressed by the hosts and or guests do not reflect the views of GeekvilleRadio.com, the Wrestling Brethren podcast, family, or any of their affiliates. Some media used in Geekville Radio is the product of their respective copyright holders, all rights reserved. My glasses! I can't see without my glasses! My glasses! I can't be seen without my glasses!